Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to the show. Today, I have a guest episode, and I'm joined by a guest from Sweden, from Stockholm. We will be talking with Kim Album. He is the Director of Consulting and Partnership at Ventures. So Ventures, which is spelled V-N-T-R-S, all capitals, is a Nordic uh, and Baltic venture studio investing in tech startups. And on top of that, they're also acting as consultants for big corporations who want to um, integrate the entrepreneurial mindset into their work, product development, and so on. So they have those two branches of of the business. And I wanted to bring Kim on the show because he's a very young leader who already has done a lot of work on personal development and self-leadership. And I want to show you different faces of leaders so that hopefully every one of you listening to the show can find that person who you can relate to from their background, from their journey, from their struggles, and so on and so forth. Today with Kim, we discuss his personal journey on getting to to the peace of mind and focusing on well-being instead of uh, overambition and how that affected his ambition as well. We tap into his background of why he got to be an overambitious adult, and that goes to the childhood where uh, Kim is sharing a bit about his family and some uh, extra needs that his little brother needed uh, had, and uh, how Kim, as a small kid, without realizing it, adjusted to the needs of the family and to the uh, stress those needs were bringing to the, uh, to the parents, and how Kim suddenly became a, a little adult and bottled up things within himself. We're talking about how he started to understand that he is not behaving in a healthy for himself way. We talk about anxiety and how that manifested for Kim physically, what the symptoms were and how he realized that, how he was wondering whether he's broken in that process. And then what he did once he realized that there was nothing physical, physically wrong with him after uh, checkups with doctors and the steps that he started taking from there on. I wanted to listen to this conversation just, again, to open up uh, you for listening to your body, watching your mind, your feelings, learning to understand them and to feel them, and also just to normalize the conversation that it's okay to not be okay, as Janusz Barberis was saying in my uh, show earlier last year. And we do need to have these conversations. It's not healthy to push through for way too long. And um, especially if you're an entrepreneur, it's difficult to be on the journey that you're on. But it doesn't mean that you have to make it harder than it already is for yourself and for people around you. So listen in, reflect on Kim's experiences, whether any of those resonate with you, whether you want to take a couple of his tips. Like for me, watching said movies was one of those surprising tips that I I will be following. So I hope you will take something from this conversation, enjoy it, and uh, implement something in your life. See you on the other side. 
Genius Leaders, welcome to this next episode and welcome Kim to be my guest here on the show. Thank you so much, Anna. Really appreciate uh, you having me here. And I've been following this, uh, this podcast quite a lot and it's, uh, it's great to, to finally be a part of it. Happy, happy that you have been following. And uh, yeah, I'm really happy that we made this episode happen because we've, we've been discussing it a lot and there have been a lot of travels on both sides. But Kim, we decided to record this episode because you are so open, openly sharing about your journey of personal development and about why you have embarked on the journey and also what it looks like for you and what the results are. And from my conversations with you, both when we met in person, when I was in Stockholm for work, and also all the conversations on LinkedIn, I do feel like there is a lot going on, right? It's not just war, it's it's not just the talk, but you actually walk the talk. And that's why I wanted to bring you on, on the show to share your experiences so that people can hear a story of a person they hopefully can relate to and get some maybe some insightful moments, but also some practical pieces of advice on how to work on that personal development journey. So let's start with why did you actually embark on that journey? What what was the need and why did you think all oh, personal development might be uh, like one of the solutions there? The funny thing is that I started my personal development journey, I would say just a couple of months after I graduated from, from college. And when I was in college, I was not that much into, you know, reading and developing as uh, like professionally and personally. So it's kind of interesting that it happened after college. Why is it interesting? I'll, I'll interrupt you here. Because for me, just after college sounds like quite early, actually, for many people. So you it, and from your uh, story now, it sounds like you feel like it's it's a bit late. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, maybe it's not late. It, it depends. Everything is relative, right? Yeah. But for me, I felt that it was kind of late because I w- really wish that I would have had like that mindset when I started mm-hmm. in school. I think it would be more enjoyable. School for me was more like, okay, I need to get my degree and get going. But I think that if I would have really uh, started with that journey before, uh, then it would be a a more pleasant experience going to school. That is what I want to answer. I see. So how did you start right after college? What motivated you to do that? It was actually reading that got me started with it. And it was um, an author named Brian Tracy. Uh, who has a lot of focus on you know the the mind and the maximum performance of people and how to get the the most out of your brain and get the most out of your yourself basically. So I, I remember it was 2015, the summer of 2015, and I started reading uh, Get Smart by Brian Tracy. Highly recommend that book uh, if if you haven't read it. That really, he, he, in a very pedagogic, pedagogical and nice way, explains how you could uh, use the part of your brain that become more creative, more productive. And that is what, what's driving me towards like, you know, getting more deep into my, my brain, into myself. And then it's kind of started like a psychological journey for me. I see. And what helped you? Because b- before we started recording, you actually started sharing a bit of the history of your, of your family and how, how that has affected you as a, d- personality and how you have developed might sharing a bit of that background as well yeah i think absolutely. it might help the listeners sure um so i come from a, a very safe and secure family with the uh, where i am the the oldest of three brothers and uh, i was three years old when the middle brother was born uh, his name is adam and he was born with with autism and uh, what happened to me then as a three-year-old what i quickly realized uh, as his autism, autism uh, developed 
was that I had to uh, be more in charge uh, of my own life because my family and my, my parents really need to put a lot of effort in uh, taking care of Adam. Mm-hmm. So it resulted in me growing up maybe a bit too quickly. It resulted in me maybe not being too connected with my emotions, you know, like a normal person, so to speak, should be, uh, you know, like feel like, okay, now I feel sorrow. Now I feel anger. Now I feel, now I feel sad. Uh, for me, that was not really the case. I kind of got emotionally disattached in some sort of way. And I think uh, from a biological perspective, it was me just adapting to the situation. Because if I was sad or angry uh, as a child would be, then automatically my parents would spend more time in taking care of me, even though my baby brother really needed that uh, that attention. Uh, so it led to me growing up quite quickly. It led to me being super, super ambitious in uh, you know planning my life and where I want to be. Uh, so it was constantly, you know, like I got out of high school uh, a month after I, I traveled to the U.S. for college. When I finished college, uh, my last year, I was constantly, even if I was in sunny California uh, studying, uh, the next step was just like, what am I going to do when I'm back home in Stockholm, Sweden? And constantly, you know, that strive towards perfection, that strive towards uh, my ambitions, which I really think is a good thing if you uh, control it and if you understand Mm -hmm. it. For me, I didn't really understand the like the background of the ambitions until a bit later. So I graduated from college in 2015, started working right away. And it was maybe in 2017 that I noticed that something is wrong here. What uh, was wrong? I started getting uh, anxiety attacks and mm-hmm. starting feeling very, very like, uh, can I say, I was not miserable and sad, but I was also not very happy it was like sort of a middle ground and it's not a really nice uh, situation to be in because everything is just like you know you, you don't get the peaks and you don't get the downfalls really you you say about it as a negative thing but i'm thinking it could be quite some listeners who listen to that and like i actually would like to be in a stable mind so what was the bad part of that or in hindsight why did you re- like pay attention to that state of being maybe emotionless or numb to your emotions uh, I think it was because it started growing uh, a pain in my chest, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of my emotions. I couldn't really express them or feel them. It was more like uh, a pretty strong pain in my chest when I went to work, in business meetings, eat- just like eating dinner at home with my family. And I constantly lived with that uh, kind of pressure in my chest. Uh, so it manifested and- physically for you? Exactly. And my theory is that because I was numb with my feelings growing up and my feelings maybe, you know, like stored up in my body, wanted to express myself, wanted to come out. For me, historically, I think it was that, no, I, I'm not going to show feelings. I'm going to be numb and I'm not going to uh, express it. But in some sort of way, it needs to pop up. And that was true, the, the, the chest pain starting with which eventually resulted in in clear anxiety attacks. And talking about anxiety, uh, can you share what it looked like, how it manifested for you? What was happening in the moment when you were having those attacks? Uh, I would say that uh, the brain completely shuts off. Your neocortex, uh, which you use to be you know, creative and find words and speaking, completely shuts off, which means that you, you get 
you, you start with the, the reptile brain instead, you know, like start feeling a, a fight or flight mode. You can communicate. You just feel that you want to get out of the situation because something is wrong in your body. Your body is in, in direct threat, is at least mm -hmm. what it is. It's not a very nice situation when it starts happening because you have no idea what it is. Was it happening to you at particular uh, moments, like with the, some, some, like, did you see a trend with the triggers or could it happen out of the blue, whatever you were doing, wherever you were? It could happen out of the blue, uh, mm -hmm. wherever I was. And I think that created a fear in me mm -hmm. and, you know, started thinking about, okay, when is it going to happen the next time? Because I can't control it. Mm -hmm. Is it going to happen in a very important business meeting or when is it going to happen? And that started triggering my brain, you know, like the normal thing with anxiety attacks. Like imagine if it would happen now. Imagine if, uh, if it happens when I'm holding this presentation or I'm in this podcast or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So your, your brain becomes kind of your worst enemy in that sense. So what did you do when, when that was escalating and you started noticing effects of it on your daily life? In the beginning, I thought it was a physical condition. So mm -hmm. I went to the doctor and I did like, heart test and uh, checking, you know, like if, if I was okay, I was afraid I was going to have a heart attack first. So that was the first step. But then I, I quickly understood uh, that it was more a psychological thing. And that is where I started to think about, okay, maybe it is something in my mind instead. And what is causing these things in my mind? So I started getting get to the root of that. Where How what it come from? How did you get that understanding? Like, was it because the doctors were saying, like, you're fine, you're healthy, and so on? And maybe they suggested that maybe you need to look at your mental state and, and those kind of things. Or was it based on the books that you're reading that you started making connections and building that hypothesis? What was the process there? It was definitely not the doctors, because they, in my like in the very first meeting, uh, suggested to just like, you know, write out medications to me. Okay, you, you have, here you can get, get some anxiety medication to write it out for you. You can just like pick it up in the, in the, in the closest pharmacy. I would say that my mom uh, played a very crucial role there as she is very like mentally aware of these situations and she was mm -hmm. with me uh, throughout the, uh, the process. Uh, so she was definitely uh, a help here. Uh, that combined with, you know, like the books that I've been reading about the human mind and how we function, uh, I would say it was a mix of that. Mm -hmm. just to reach the awareness stage. And then, of course, there's a lot of work to do after that. But that definitely helped me to reach the awareness stage of what was actually wrong. So when you have realized that, when you built this awareness, what were the first steps for you? And also, what were the feelings when you realized that maybe your brain is messing up with you so that it actually manifests in physical symptoms? Uh, did you have an emotion there coming up? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the first... Uh, thought I had is, okay, am I broken in some sort of way? Mm. Is something wrong with my mind? You know, with a lot of focus in work myself. And I think it's, it's very easy to start blaming yourself, even though it's a very, very normal condition and it happens to pretty much everyone. But the, the first thing is like, am I messed up? How could I, mm. like, how could I fix the situation? The next step after that, I decided to not go for the medication. Uh, I, I believe that I could do it myself, take, take it into my own hands. So the next step was, you know, getting into therapy and trying out therapy just so I could, uh, in a safe zone, express my feelings and express what I'm thinking to a professional. Was that a very easy choice to do, to take? Uh, because I'm asking because here in Iceland, for example, 
uh, it's still fairly stigmatized to go into therapy. People have quite a strong relation, like, okay, therapy, like, must be something wrong with me. Like, I'm, I'm, they think about medical conditions and diagnosis as a need and prerequisite to go to a therapist. And even with coaching, I sometimes get this feedback, oh, I'm not a freak. I don't need to, to go for coaching. So mm-hmm. we're talking 2017, you said, six years ago. Sweden is much further ahead in understanding of mental health, how it is also important and so on. But you're also fairly young then. You're early, mid-20s or so, soon after college. So how was that process for you of thinking, like, hmm, maybe I should try therapy? Was it just like, yeah, let's go for it? Or was there a process as well? Actually, I am very open about the, these type of things, general about spiritual things and about the human mind. So I think I have a natural curiosity. So when I saw the chance of like, okay, I could go to therapy to like, you know, deep dive, deep dive into my mind and understand it better. I kind of saw it more like uh, an opportunity rather than uh, going into defense and saying, no, I don't need this. And maybe it is because I'm, I haven't turned 30 yet. So I'm still quite young. And uh, maybe it is because of like my generation and it is more of an openness in Sweden, at least, mm-hmm. uh, regarding going to therapy. And I would recommend anyone to do it, even if you don't feel anxiety. If I would be maybe my dad's generation, maybe I wouldn't do it. I see. So, so you found you found a therapist, and was it also an easy process to find someone whom you clicked with, whose approach felt good to you, or did you have to do a bit of a trial and error there? Um, it was actually quite easy. The, the first person I got in contact with was very, very uh, nice and uh, very, very friendly, understood my situation uh, quite immediately. So it was not a process for me in that sense. So... It was quite easy. We just started on the, basically the first day. And I understand that that is not always the, the case because you come into a therapy session and you be like very, very reserved. You don't want to get up. Nothing is wrong with me. Or yeah, you see where I'm getting with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to emphasize that uh, to genius leaders listening that yeah, Kim was lucky, but sometimes it is not the case. And it could be because of the approach. There are so many different approaches to therapy. There are uh, and also per- personal chemistry. And I have met quite a lot of people who just give up on the idea of going into therapy because they didn't click with a person or they thought the approach was not working for them. But I want to emphasize that, yes, it might be painful to go through this process of finding the right person and the right approach for yourself, but please do that. And that's why I always emphasize that it's important to find that help before shit hits the fan. Because when you are in the, in your, at your rock bottom, you don't have the resource to restart this building this relationship with two, three, five professionals every time going through those problems without feeling like you're getting help. And that's why it's so important to find that professional that you you can trust, you have a relationship built already, that when things get tough, you can come to them. So just, just a side note here that yes, a lot of people are lucky as Kim with finding the professional straight away, but sometimes it's not the case. And then please do not give up. Exactly. And it's a lot about the, you know putting away your pride because your pride is not, it doesn't have any value when you're in a situation like that. It's really important to, to really like, you know, zoom out and get an understanding uh, from an outside perspective. It can be super hard sometimes to zoom out and look at yourself through, through other eyes. But that is definitely one way to, to get help. So now you've been in, in, on that journey for six years almost. Tell us, Kim, about uh, maybe the main 
tools that you have uh, gotten for yourself out of therapy and other development work that you have been doing? And uh, yeah, then I want to go into how you're using them in your daily life. Absolutely. So therapy for me wasn't that long, actually. I only attended quite a few sessions. I, I thought it was great, but it was just to, you know, get going and get spinning and like gain, gather the knowledge of like, yeah, how does a therapy session work and what to get out of it. Then I think that I have a lot in myself to work with uh, towards getting there, but I needed the help to get started at least. In the very beginning, it was like, yeah, you know, starting to express my feelings in words and start feeling my feelings rather than feeling a pain in my chest. Mm-hmm. That was the, the number one thing I remember doing. And then we I'll went pause you here, Kim. Sorry for interrupting, but this is a process I'm going through myself at a new capacity, you would say, right now. Uh, I always thought that I'm, I'm in touch with my emotions, but through the work with a the therapist uh, or last year, I realized that I'm just... When she was asking me, how are you feeling right now? What comes up for you when you're saying this and so on? I would be like giving her answers, but I realized that I was giving her the right, quote unquote, answers, how you were supposed to feel. So that was a completely new realization for me of myself, how I've been lying to myself. And I'm going through the process right now with my therapist of actually not referencing the right things, but talking from my feelings. So how was that for you? How did you go from feeling pain in the chest to actually understanding what's the feeling and uh, managing to navigate that. It's so funny that you say it because it was exactly the same for me, the first two sessions. The same thing, like, let's imagine you're going into, you're going into work, to the office, and you're meeting with a colleague. and like, yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, like the standard race. Maybe you wouldn't say, oh, I'm feeling miserable, because then it's like, it's not the right uh, situation to say it. But it is about the facade that you build up. I am him. I am supposed to feel good at all times uh, because that is how I want to be perceived by other people, right? A happy and energetic person. So it was definitely a, <laughs> a difficult first step to take. And that's why I think it's so important to take professional help around it mm-hmm. because it is a professional working with it and to, to open up, locking up those, uh, those locks in your brain that, that tells you to, to create a facade. But yeah, I, I totally, totally and relate to that as well. So how how were you opening up those locks and and, and unpacking the feelings? Any practical tools that you can give? Of course, we're not we're not here to substitute the professional help, but we are more to show people what they can open up for them to themselves if they seek that professional help. How that can look like in practice? Yeah, uh, one thing is definitely to talk about it, like to talk about things that might give you a chest pain or that might mm-hmm. make you feel uncomfortable. And I mean, depending on the person, it can be different things. It can be like, you know, how you're growing up. It could be a very traumatic situation in your life. So it all depends on the person. But I think one way to start doing it is to, to just talk about it and to acknowledging it and knowing that it's there. For me, one thread that really worked for me in like starting, you know, feeling emotions and like getting back to that was to, to watch really sad movies. Okay. So like, yeah. Uh, you start watching Titanic or The Green Mile or, you know, movies that really make you feel something inside because that brings out that feeling. Maybe it's uncomfortable to think about the traumatic situation or you growing up. But if it's if you can use a tool like, you know, watching a sad movie, it, it's not correlated to, to your pain, but it's still a pain that you're feeling. And you like, you know, bring up that feeling and kind of embrace it. 
So That's this brilliant. is sadness I feel. This is anger I feel when I watch this, you know, a great tool to, to use. I love it. That, that actually explains why I fancy watching movies. And that's usually some kind of a bit of a like drama romance or so, because I feel like that's probably, maybe that's my body trying or my mind trying to tell me like, let's, let's work on expression, those emotions. <laughs> Here we go. Exactly, <laughs> Thanks Kim exactly. for sharing. And it, it really depends on, on the person, you know, like some people can get super offended uh, in a certain area, whereas other people are perfectly fine with it and get super mm-hmm. offended in another area. Okay, that, that specific area is probably something really bad, but it's something that is happening in yourself. It's your reaction to the situation that, that causes it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something to, to really think about. Okay, we know that it's bad, uh, but it's my reaction in my body that makes it so extremely bad compared to the other bad things. Definitely. We need to find our truth in, in this whole process and really try things. And I'm always saying that, like, take those uh, pieces of advice or tools or whatever and, and apply critical thinking when you're looking at them. Do they really fit me? Do, do they resonate with me? And not necessarily if they trigger you, throw them away because maybe this trigger is actually showing you where, like, where you, the area where you need to work on. But still, you need to, to be in touch with yourself there and feel like, you know, crossing the ethical line or the values line for yourself. Exactly. So what, what were the, what could be the other tools that you, you have learned and are using these days? So my super, super tool that I like highly, highly recommend to everyone and that I'm using every day. Uh, sometimes I'm like more stressed that I can't do it with like uh, the same amount of time, but that is to uh, go back to your thoughts and to really, you know, start thinking about your mind as a, a fabric of thoughts. What comes out from it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and start uh, really thinking about what is going on in your mind. Because uh, I, don't, I don't know, um, uh, a human being uh, thinks, uh, I don't know, maybe millions of thoughts every day. How many thoughts do you actually, you know, oh, wait, wait a minute, what did I just think? And where mm-hmm. did it come from? When I started to observing my thoughts, that was the, the number one uh, breaking point for me that really, really helped me in becoming more self-aware. How do you do that in practice? I think that at first, you just need to, uh, to tell yourself, like, okay, now in the next hour, I'm going to like really pay attention to what's going on in my mind. And then uh, in the beginning, you will just forget about it because it happens. Like Life happens, work happens, and you're going to wander off. And then it goes a week. You'll be like, oh, damn, I was going to observe my thoughts a week ago. What happened? But then you just come back to it again. Okay, now I'm going to try again what is going on in my mind slowly you will get used to it more and more and i am far away from perfect when it comes to observing my thoughts like it it can still go a couple of weeks without me doing it but i'm at least aware that it's something that i want to do to like you know create that change within myself and you know your thoughts create your character and what type of character do you want to be because you know like emotions are a lot more than the body's reaction to your thoughts how do you want to feel? What emotions do you want to have? That is definitely the best tool that worked for me. It's definitely powerful. And for me, it helped a lot to meditate, to actually sit in that space, because this is the perception, the misperception that a lot of people have about meditation, that your goal is to not have any thoughts. But in reality, for me, it's a lot about realizing your thoughts and observing them. And this approach of feeling like you're standing by the road and watching the car cars path, passing 
is a very empowering way for me to think about my thoughts when I'm sitting in meditation and also when I'm doing it during the uh, daily life, just as, as you said, I'll be observing my thoughts. Just because this thought appeared, just this, because this car is passing me on the road, doesn't mean that I have to jump in front of it or try to get into it. You don't need to follow it to actually realize that, oh yeah, that was the red Subaru passing by and those kind of things. And that that is what meditation has brought into my life, really learning how to notice my thoughts, notice the stories I'm telling myself, and then realizing that I don't need to follow that track. And just because the thought has appeared doesn't mean that I need to believe in it and act right. out of it. Just as you said, I need to like ask this question for, to myself, is that the thought of a person whom I want to be? And if not, yes. I can choose to not act out of that thought, just to not be the person whom I don't want to be. Exactly. And I think it's really good to also observe it. Okay, this thought came up. That thought is, uh, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to relate to it. But at least I acknowledge it and I, I see it happen. So I can start removing it. And I can start shaping myself as with, with more uh, happy thoughts or whoever you want to be. And super interesting that you say that about meditation as well, because I think it's many people well, when we talk about meditation might think that, yeah, but I'm not a spiritual person. I like if I sit and meditate, I will think about million thoughts and I don't I don't experience a stillness in my mind. The opposite. I just see how fucked up my mind is because I'm thinking so many different things all the time. And then to to, to those people I would say, Yeah, that's great. Because then you start acknowledging it. You see what is going on in your mind. And that is just a you know a first step of you uh, start clearing it out. Because I really think that people want to have less things on their mind and maybe the more important thing on their mind, yeah. then it start, Then it's time to start, you know, funneling and, and think about what is actually there. Absolutely. And again, the, these tools we're talking about are the empowerment tools for you to, to be able to filter and funnel those things that you actually want to act upon and to, to give more of your mental space to, and also your time and energy in general, uh, to act uh, out of. Kim, I would like to follow up with the result that you mentioned to me in the chat, why I actually mentioned or invited you to the podcast. And you said that you went from this overambitious person to focusing on the peace and well-being in the now. And what I replied to you is that I think a lot of people need to hear about the journey and the results of your fo- shifting your focus that way, because I meet so many high performers, especially entrepreneurial and founder world, that who are afraid that if they will focus in being good now and on their well-being, they will just sit down on the sofa and chill the rest of their life. (laughs) That ambition will be gone completely. So did that happen to you? First of all, I could just give an example of how I was when I was overly ambitious. That was not healthy for me. Uh, What I used to do is like I used to write an agenda for like every single minute of my life. You know, like I'm going to wake up at this time in the next time slot of 30 minutes, I'm going to be meditating. Then I'm going to be working on this. Then I'm going to be doing this. And um, I had like, I, I did that for over a year. You know, every single minute of my life was determined by like what I write down on a paper, which um, could be something really good, you know, that you're like, you're having a structure and you have control of your life. But for me, even though it was good for, you know, results, it was not good for my well-being. Because I felt so, I felt so imprisoned by, you know, my own ambitions. And that created a negative thought pattern that like, okay, I am, 
I can I can perform even higher if I just uh, sleep one hour less or if I you know like I really start to think about like how could I reach maximum performance and what happened was that when I achieved my goals I didn't feel a satisfaction of it I only felt a pressure of like what will my next goals be how can I maximize uh, my own body and my own mind to reach the next goals so it was no time for me to uh, you know enjoy uh, achieving my goals and no time to actually feel good about it why do you think it's important or it sounds like so correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like you feel like that's the wrong approach to not have the time to enjoy your achievements and just focus on the next step why is that wrong because i would say that life and your well-being is everything that happens uh, in between your goals you are achieving your goals it is your daily life what how do you structure your day how do you want to feel if you if you look back you know like in, in 30 years and you look back in, during this time like how did my life look like was i constantly just like uh, running after a piece of paper with my goals how did that affect my social life how did that affect my my family and and the, the people close to me okay i might have achieved some some good business goals but how was the rest of my life and i i don't think it was a very good place to be in mm, yeah so when you were in that stage what what shifted or when you were living running after that piece of paper uh, and following it to the minute um i think that what happened was that i i slowly started understanding how uh, how it was not a, a good life for me that i wanted to be living and i i constantly felt like oh why am i so stressed why am i constantly like you know anxious why am i constantly like never happy really i want to be happy that is why i'm doing this that is why i'm working that is why i want to achieve my goals because i want to like i want to achieve a stillness and a happiness but how could i do that if i am in the middle of a, a hamster wheel where i'm not happy in order for me to be in a, like a happy present moment i need to to live it every day I think it's uh, just one final note to it. I think it's so normal to always strive towards perfection and your goal and you you can only see that goal and you think that when I achieve it that is where the happiness is, you know, on that very pike of the of the mountain. And then you arrive there at the pike of the mountain and you look around and like, okay, but there's a bigger mountain that I got to climb now. Yeah. It, I have so many conversations with my clients about that. They that's quite often is the reason why they come to me because they realize like, okay, I've been moving that goalpost all the time for 10, 20, 30 years of my career. And I'm just tired of that because the joy never comes. And not only joy not coming from the accomplishments, but even the joy from the things that I used to love doing, hobbies like traveling or uh, learning languages, learning astrology, whatever it is for my clients, they're like, this constant achieving goals and moving the goalpost has sucked out the joy and happiness for even from those things that I've always loved doing. And that just feels so emptying for them. I feel like it's, it's the, the mentor from Harry Potter comes to mind for me. Like this is what really happens to them. They feel as if a mentor came and visited them when they get this realization that running after the next goal is not make, doing the trick for them. So I'm so happy that you have realized it early on in your career and in your lives so that you don't have to go as far as some of my clients did because I usually work with people who are uh, in late 40s, 50s. So 
tell us what have you done when you realize like, okay, I'm not happy. And this piece of paper with my daily schedule is maybe not the thing. And how have you shifted it? And what does it look like right now? Yeah. So what happened was that uh, I started thinking about, you know, this piece of paper and my, like my agendas and really like took a deep dive into it. Okay. Why am I doing this? What is the end goal of, you know, noting every single step on the journey? What is the journey's end that I'm going to be reaching? And back in the days, it was uh, money as it's so many, like so often is, right? But like, okay, I want uh, to earn more money. I want to become rich uh, in that sense. And then I took a deep dive into that. Okay, why do I want to become rich? And the answer was, it was not like I'd never been a material type of person. Like, I don't care about expensive cars or watches or, you know, like that the social gain that you get for like being, uh, being rich. So I, I could eliminate that. Like, okay, I don't care about, you know, like the, the material things. I would like to live in a, in a nice house. I would, I would like to have, you know, flexibility. I would like, like to have like, you know, a life where I could be traveling, where I could be, uh, you know, in peace and have the flexibility around work. And then I started thinking, okay, but if these are the things that I want, like the flexibility and the, the peace, why am I so, why, why am I so obsessed with running after the money? It's not the, the money that I'm searching for. It is the lifestyle that I'm searching for. And um, that made me start thinking, okay, how could I achieve this lifestyle of, you know, traveling, flexibility, spending more time with friends and family. And still, of course, I mean, of course, you should always strive to like economic, being a good economical situation as well. But I think that kind of happens naturally if you build up that type of lifestyle for yourself. And How does it happen naturally? What's the connection the, there? Yeah, my connection is that if I am at peace and if I have the flexibility in my life to, to travel, to work from wherever I am, wherever I am. And uh, I think that will bring out the best in me, in my professional role, which will really maximize my my performance. Because I am in a situation where I am happy, I feel joy. There's no stress. There's just like calmness. And that will uh, eventually maximize my performance at work as well. Love it. So basically freedom first, money follows. Exactly. Love it. And how did you shift? I would like to slowly wrap up the conversation, but the practical tools or changes that you have made, Kim, in your daily schedule, in the habits that helped you get from that overachievement space to actually really focusing on that sense of freedom and uh, inner peace. And that all starts again uh, with uh, with my thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. just like we talked about before. And uh, for me, I started out with with meditation every morning, just to um, you know, like create a, a clear space in my mind. Unfortunately for me, I still have some some of that you know, like overperformance uh, part. So meditation for me, after a while, become became more of a must. Like mm-hmm. I must meditate because then my mind will be in a better place. So what I am doing instead that's working better for me. So instead of like forcing myself into meditation, I do some some sort of mini meditation uh, throughout my day instead. So instead of doing you know like thirty minutes of meditation before I start my day, I do uh, mini meditation throughout my day. So it's uh, ten deep breaths, 
with a clear mind, like you're not allowed to, like you're not allowed for, for new thoughts to come in. If they come in, fine, observe them and then keep taking your breaths. So you do that 10 times and you do it a minimum five times per day. And that for me really uh, allows me to, you know, stop a bit, reflect about where I am. What am I doing? How is my day look like? How is uh, How does everything look like? Do I feel stressed? Why do I feel stressed? So it's constantly coming back to, to that uh, self-reflection. And it has really been uh, uh, helpful for me. I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Kim, because the breath is so underestimated for so many people, especially high performers. I, uh, I have recorded an uh, episode, which is a guided meditation, you can say, but guided practice that is focusing on your breath. And I'll link it in the show notes to you, Janice Litter, so that it's easier for you to um, get it or to listen to it. But I have received so much good feedback about it that it's such a powerful tool and people are saving it for, for future reference and so on. Just because you can take a couple of minutes, you said 10 breaths, it doesn't take you long. But I see how that changes my clients, for example, when we, when we meet and they're super stressed. And usually with my Icelandic clients, we meet in person and take a walk in the nature. Uh, for our session. And I see that from their body language, from their pace, you know, from how they talk, that they are still in their like crisis mode from, from what they had at work and so on. So I force them to stop. And if there is a bench, we sit down. If not, we just stand. And I force them to take three very, very, very deep and stretched out breath. It's a completely different person after <laughs> those three breaths. And it's exactly. insane how much it can change. So I'm Go ahead. It's it's incredible and it's biological as well. If you yeah. like provide more oxygen to your to your body, then your mind and your body reaches another stillness and another calm. I would also add to that. Uh, maybe that is already a part of 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 the of your process, but that also to you know like combine the breaths, the deep breaths, with a still mind. Uh, because sometimes it can be like you know you're taking deep breaths, but it's happening like you're thinking ten thoughts at the same time. Try to just like during these breaths, don't think at all. If you think it's fine, but just like try to remove it and then take a new breath. Exactly. I don't think I mentioned it in that particular episode, but generally what I recommend to people is really think about that uh, road uh, with the cars. So what you do, if you see the car cars coming, you just acknowledge, okay, there is a car. So you notice, you acknowledge, and then you let it go. It just continues its path. And that's what you do with your thoughts as well. Don't hook on them and don't develop them and don't think, oh, why did I think this thought right now? And so on. It's like, okay, hello, thought, by thought. And that's it. And what can help you focus on clearing the mind is uh, what I did with myself at some uh, more stressful periods of my life. I would set the intention of 10 breaths and I would count each breath. And if I'm suddenly not sure which count is it now, means that I lost my track and I need to start from all over again. I do the same with the training. Uh, to be mindful in my training, I count the reps. And if I'm not sure, then I'm not starting over again, but I'm kind of going back to the last number I was sure about. So that really motivates me to be more present in what I'm doing and more mindful about that. Uh, and that's a very good trick of doing it. You Either you meditate more, you breathe more <laughs> because you need to start all, all, all over again. That brings you a positive effect or you you're from the beginning more present and mindful about the activity exactly exactly and the reason why i i decided to you know do the breaths rather than meditation i really believe in both and uh, it, i think it depends on the person for me uh, as i told before uh, put a lot of pressure on my time and you know like my ambition that like you know doing this 30 minute slot i'm gonna do meditation then it becomes a negative thing for me 
Kim, you got you got to do meditation. It's eight o'clock. Kim, you gotta you know like really that voice forcing yourself. If it is you know five deep breaths or uh, ten deep breaths uh, five times per day, I can take control of the situation and I can decide if I want to do it at eight o'clock at lunch or in the afternoon or just spread it out. That puts away the pressure of taking the breaths, but it still provides the same value. Yeah. As we discussed earlier, it's really good to use those tools, but uh, apply critical thinking and just be honest with yourself and reflect on what, what suits you and what actually will make a positive impact and positive change for you personally. Tim, to summarize or to, to wrap it up the, this conversation, what's your wish to the genius leaders listening when it comes to the personal development and their honest journey with themselves, be it a tool, be, be it a mind shift or anything? Like I mentioned before, the, the very, very important of being able to zoom out because we, we create our own characters in our minds and who do we want to be. We start acting upon our, our thoughts and who we want to be to other people so they perceive us as the, the person that we want to be. Uh, so I would say that really like try to zoom out from yourself. Try to, uh, see yourself with who you really are and start building from that because you'll probably find a lot of, you know, like negative sides that you might be in, in defense of and like, no, I'm not like that. But that might actually be true because it's something that is perceived in other people's thought about you. So be able to zoom out and to really, really think about feedback from other people and uh, start shaping yourself based upon that. Very valuable skill to have in uh, in our lives. Kim, thank you so much for coming to the show and sharing so openly about your uh, background and your process and journey. And I know that it's an ongoing journey and uh, you don't seem to be a person who will give up on it any time soon because you know the value of it. So thank you so much for being on this journey and for sharing about it so openly with uh, my community. Thank you so much for having me. And genius leaders, Thank you so much for being part of this community as well and uh, talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.